This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello, and thanks for listening to Obsessed. Uh, Normally, Obsessed is recorded with a live audience, and uh, today is a very intimate Obsessed. (laughs) A nice (laughs) pants optional. Pants optional. Uh, My guest and I are not wearing pants. Uh, we're not wearing pants in our mind, but we never are in our minds. Uh, I am actually at the home of uh, my pal and screenwriter, Josh A. Kagan. Hello. Uh, and our live audience is whatever creatures, perhaps squirrels, that might scamper by <laughs> <laughs> Josh A. Kagan's lovely home in Hollywood, California. Uh, and uh, Josh, tell us just a little bit about who you are. Uh, I am a person who writes funny word sayings occasionally in uh, screenplays. Uh, in films such as Band Slam and uh, TV shows such as Undergrads, uh, and uh, the occasional web series like Geek and Sundry's Learning Town and Yum Yum F's John Davis Gets a Sex Robot. Nice. Uh, and uh, very, very once in a while, I say things in front of people, uh, as uh, as Joseph and I did just this past Friday at M-Bar. Yeah. At the delightful Nerd Night Out show. It was hilarious. You should, I think that uh, you should try to get some of that recorded and put online. Done. Viral. Let's just do viral that. Viral thrills. Yes. Hang on. Let me go get my <laughs> go, notes. Go get your script. I'm hijacking this shit. Josh tells a hilarious story about almost dying in a shower. True uh, story. A hotel shower. And it's so universal because I think everybody struggles with hotel showers. They're like baseball field. When Carlin did that, that's the only reason why I know about baseball fields because Carlin did a, a bit about it. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, all of different sizes and there's no kind of standard. And this is very much sort of beginning to buttress into like Andy Rooney material. But I just want a standardized shower. <laughs> I don't want to try and fucking solve a Rubik's Cube every time I just want to wash filth off of my body. I don't need counter weights and levers and things there should just be one shower yeah also everybody get off my lawn i i totally agree with one of those things of what you're saying and it's sort of the to me that power of comedy of like that's a universal truth and and i feel that i'm glad to hear that because sometimes i feel when i say things like i can't figure out different kinds of showers people look at me like oh we need to put a cork on his fork so he doesn't poke his own goddamn eye out <laughs> he's a special kind of stupid i don't think hugs. that you could figure that out that's a lot of technology <laughs> putting the cork on the fork to begin with well i'd need an adult yeah, i'd need exactly. to i'd need to call mother you need supervision oh, that was nature sounds i think we hear the chittering of animals yes or perhaps a lovecraft creature of some kind <laughs> Uh, so Josh's obsession is the television show T.J. Hooker. Oh, it sounds so <laughs> dirty when you say it out loud. <laughs> so tell me about, for anybody who doesn't know T.J. Hooker, what is T.J. Hooker? Well, T.J. Hooker is obviously the best TV show that the actor William Shatner was ever associated <laughs> with. And then he was beaten to death by a tricorder in a sock. Um, it is a cop show that ran uh, in the early 80s with uh, with the Shat as the titular T.J. Hooker. A, the archetypal, in my mind, 1980s cop who does not play by the rules. Um, and uh, it's basically it's basically when you see like the Simpsons making fun of cop shows or like a Saturday Night Live sketch about 80s cop shows it is that thing it's the kind of show that if you squint you're almost certain you could be watching an episode of Police Squad <laughs> so one of the stereotypes in my mind about T.J. Hooker and I, I think I saw a couple of episodes you know a thousand years ago 
and it was just mad at it for not being Star Trek and, didn't, <laughs> and did not get past that. Uh, so one of the only things that I feel I know about it is that the shaft, TJ yes. Hooker, uh, would slide across the hoods of cars with frequency. Is that accurate? This is because of the Saturday Night Live sketch. Okay. Uh, there was a, when uh, it was the same, uh, the, the kind of, probably one of the better Saturday Night Live episodes from the 1980s, full stop. The famous episode where uh, he tells all the people at the Star Trek convention to get a life. Okay. Um, there is a TJ Hooker sketch uh, where he is the entire time clinging uh, to the front of a car. Um, he does definitely not do that in every episode. Uh, what's interesting about TJ Hooker is that it goes through a bunch of stages throughout its run. When it starts off, um, it starts off with a two-hour made-for-TV movie, uh, and it's called some. I think it's called The Protectors. Um, and <laughs> T.J. Hooker is a. He was a detective. His partner got killed in the line of duty, and so he either got knocked down to being a uniform cop again or did that of his own accord and is in charge of a bunch of rookies and is sort of showing them the ropes. Uh, and the first season of the show is very didactic and there's like a lot of... It, it's almost trying to be not a Hill Street Blues level, but it's like the people who made it seem to be thinking, oh, we're going to let people know what it's really like on the street. So it was sort of like an early how-to YouTube video? It was kind of, <laughs> yes, how to be a cop. And it was him giving a lot of homespun advice uh, to his rookie charges and uh, and then also, you know, like sticking his nose where things into business where it shouldn't be because he's just a lowly uniformed officer and blah, blah, blah. And he's like dealing with an ex-wife and his two kids. And it's got kind of a stink of realism to it. That is... <laughs> <laughs> that is ditched. That is ditched pretty much after the first season. And then the show slowly transforms into the cop show that we make fun of when we make fun of cop shows. And that's when you see uh, a lot of stunts being done and a lot of grabbing onto the fronts of cars and sliding over things and running okay. away from explosions. Um, and one of the things that I really do love about the show is that it started off with a very definite kind of serious mission statement and then comically decides to just ditch it throughout the run of its series. <laughs> so whereas like the first you know the first season it's like oh well let's not forget we got to do all this paperwork by the time you get to like season 3 or season 4 you know one of Hooker's co-workers gets hit on the head real bad develops sudden rage disorder and by <laughs> the end of the episode uh, has experimental brain surgery and is fine in time for the next episode. So it sets out to be a TV uh, a procedural about cops and ends up being kind of like a television it, industry procedural. Yeah, it's like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched that yeah. show, but it's a he Hooker becomes more and more. Whereas before he's like this, you know, he's just sort of a cop trying to do things and teach people about things. It sort of blows into this. I he you know this sort of iconic figure uh, as this especially happens as Shatner begins to have more of a hand in writing and directing episodes. Oh, okay. Um he becomes this sort of larger than life mixture of like of Jesus and Jonas Salk 
and you know, just all of the things and King Arthur and uh, and, and he's it, really good at breakdancing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he understands where the kids are coming from. Oh, right. That's right, always right. important. Dirty Harry and things like that. I don't know if that answers your initial question. Oh, yes. But it start. But so it started to sum up. It started a little more realistic, and then as you get, it, but then the other interesting thing is for a while it's Shatner doing or at least purporting to do a lot of stunts and then as you get to the last season and you see that he's it like oh I didn't know that the cops made Sansa belt slacks you know he <laughs> begins to get a little on the doughier side and suddenly uh the other you know like dance fever guy and Heather Locklear are doing the majority of running around and he's doing a lot of um, I'm just gonna sit in the car. Is there you a scene where they where they all run toward a car and the two young ones slide across the hood and then Shatner just walks around? I've taught you well. <laughs> Obviously not well enough because it turns out you can just fucking walk around the car. <laughs> uh, cool. So that gives me a really good picture of kind of like what it is and where it sits in television and cop show history. What is the magic of it for you? Because you continue to watch it to this day, I watch, right? They, sh- they show it on like the Universal HD channel. Um, and uh, they show it every night in a block with like Charlie's Angels, which is just a delightful two hours of television. Um, it is great turn off your brain television. <laughs> it does not require a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, and I have I have a pretty active brain, a lot of monkey mind, as uh, as my yogi wife will say. And so it's pretty great to just sort of pop open a cold one and bliss out to, and just sort of watch ridiculous detective show tropes invent themselves out of thin air. So it's it's, it's sort of like sensory deprivation tank? It's a little (laughs) sensory deprivation. And also, I have a I have a nice nostalgic attachment to it. Uh, when I, my sister and I were growing up uh, in the 80s, uh, every Friday night, and this is when we were kids, uh, every Friday night we would uh, be sort of shuttled off to uh, my grandparents' house so my mom could have a life for one night <laughs> taste sweet, delicious freedom. Um, and uh, my grandfather, we would have dinner, and then my grandfather would go bowling, uh, and then he would come back at around like 9, 9.30-ish. We would order a pizza which, by the way, was just like winning the kid lottery. I'm yeah. like, we've already had dinner, and now we're having night pizza? This is <laughs> truly, this is the greatest of all times to be alive. Like, sounds like some strangely erotic Night <laughs> pizza deserves a quiet night. Uh, a little, when I think erotic, I think Michael Stipe's bald head. Uh, it's a different show entirely. Uh, but uh, So my grandfather would come home, and then we would watch 80s Friday night cop shows. That was just always sort of the thing that would be on. So we'd watch, like, The Fall Guy and Matt Houston and uh, Magnum P.I. and any kind of show with sort of a beefy brunette, possibly mustachioed, possibly not dude <laughs> solving crimes and running from explosions and TJ Hooker was absolutely one of those shows oh another one of those shows uh, 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 The Master uh, with Lee Van Cleef and a Van Patten kid and uh, one of the ways that I uh, this is a complete tangent but one of the ways that I completely got into mystery science theater was sold on it in the 90s was because they did not one but two episodes of The Master which was Lee Van Cleef as a ninja uh, who drove around in a van and solved crimes Wow. So anyways, long story short, I say that a lot. (laughs) I tell a lot of them, uh, apparently. Uh, So when 80s cop shows 
and not again, not like the Hill Street Blues, but like the just real dumb. It the kind of show where somebody could have emergency brain surgery at the end of one episode and be fine in the next one. Was it done like in a parking lot or a McDonald's? Was it like no? It was in a proper hospital. Okay, they weren't savages. <laughs> um, no, it, yes, exactly like the tracheotomy and mash. Yeah. All right, I got a pen cap and a knife. Let's and Hooker himself didn't do the surgery, did he? He didn't. Although I'm sure that must have been in a draft. Okay. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so it just kind of brings up warm, nostalgic uh, memories of sort of a, a childhood that uh, is not coming back, but also a style of TV that is not coming back. Right, but one that, that certainly a lot of current television owes something to. Um, perhaps as cautionary example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't do what DJ <laughs> yes. Hooker did. That's how every meeting starts in L.A., yeah. right? Yes, Let's exactly. not hooker ourselves here. Let's not. <laughs> Until later. We'll go to Vegas, and then we'll hooker ourselves. Hooker did so... There are so many great things in it. What I, and When you talk about tropes, uh, I mean... Every episode, once you get past season one, every episode had at least one visit to a strip club. Um <laughs> Which resembled no strip clubs in a way. It was sort of the flash dance idea where men would just go to bars, very well-lit bars, drink their drinks, and watch women basically dressed in, like, pantsuits. <laughs> just dance. Just dance. Just some executive ladies letting <laughs> yes, off some steam. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, and of course, Stacy, the Heather Locklear part, uh, she would often have to go, like, Stacy, you've got to go undercover as an aerobics dancer. Of course I do. <laughs> Did she per- have to go undercover is just, like, any exciting movie at the time? Um... That's a great question. Uh, the, there was definitely like a flash dancey episode. Um, well, it wasn't like the, the aerobics instructor video one was a girl who was in a series of like Jane Fonda ish aerobics videos. Okay. Was murdered. And so Stacy had to go undercover to, <laughs> to, to, to blow the lid off, off the dirty, dirty black lid. When know, I those, think of undercover, like nobody can see or know what you're doing, I think of doing aerobics yeah. on VHS day. One, two, three, <laughs> four. Um, and there were episodes where it's like, you're going undercover as a massage, uh, as a massage person, and you're going undercover as a stripper. It was always like, there, she never got to go undercover as like a certified public accountant or, or anything <laughs> Did like Shatner that. go undercover? He's like, we need somebody a guy got killed making donuts. Can you go work at the donut shop? He had to go undercover the, uh, well, I mean as like a big time drug haver. Okay. You know what I mean? Like he, <laughs> uh, or he had to go work at a bank. He was like, all right, I'm going to go work at this bank for a week. Stacy, go get your leg warmers. <laughs> um, so there was that, but there was, I mean, there are a couple of really wonderful attempts at spin-off episodes, um, which I think, when I think of 1980s TV, I think of that trope especially, the sort of ham-handed, like, well, it looks like you're transferring to another precinct this week to meet cops who do it a little differently. Probably in Chicago, yeah. Oh my God, do you know that episode? No, I just guessed. So the last episode before, so if I remember correctly, Hooker started on ABC and then on the last season, it was a series of late night 90 minute movies on CBS. Okay, the slow death throes of a television exactly, series in the 80s. Which is another one of my favorite tropes actually, which is the uh, regrettable last season where they just, 
It looks like we have to solve crimes in Hawaii. <laughs> sort of uh, the perfect, the best example of that, of course, is Baywatch Nights, where they decided halfway through seasons that David Hasselhoff was going to solve ghost crimes. Right. It's because, like the crime version of adding a cute kid yes, in the last exactly. season. Yeah. But so the last episode of the ABC season, uh, it's called The Chicago Connection. And it starts with just bad stock footage of a plane taking off and landing and Hooker going, my boss decided that I had to go do something in Chicago. <laughs> so here I am now. And he has to just go get a suspect and bring him back to Los Angeles or whatever. Because it, it didn't, Hooker didn't actually take place in Los Angeles. All the badges said LCPD. Okay. Because I guess Los Angeles would sue. I don't. Well, what was LC? What did it stand for? I mean, it was very obviously Los Angeles. Los Unless Kankles? It, Los, Los Kankles. Los Kankles. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Unless it was like in much the same way that like Grand Theft Auto never calls the city by its actual name. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, he had to go to Chicago to like get a guy and bring him back, but got embroiled in like big windy city Chicago intrigue and was partnered with a fast talking African American cop. <laughs> And it is very obviously uh, sort of – I couldn't tell whether they wanted to give that guy, uh, whose name escapes me, but an interesting fact about him, uh, he was second in line. He also auditioned for the 1980 season of Saturday Night Live, and Eddie wow. Murphy got his slot, uh, which sort of was a cause of consternation for him for the rest of his life. But what was really interesting is that – he was very obviously cast in this episode of T.J. Hooker as an Eddie Murphy type and basically does an episode-long Eddie Murphy impression. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's called The Chicago Connection, and it's Hooker and fast-talking guy, uh, you know, breaking down on crime in Chicago. And uh, and you meet all of the fast-talking cops' co-workers, and it was difficult to ascertain whether or not that was going to be the spinoff show or whether the producers of T.J. Hooker were like, I just maybe it takes place in Chicago now. <laughs> we got to change this up. Um, but it's it's really that's a really tremendously bad episode because, again, they are very obviously ripping off 48 hours in the most in the most ham fisted way. Like there's a scene we, of course, all remember the famous scene where Eddie Murphy uh, walks into a shit kicker bar, a, a white shit kicker bar, right. and, and kicks asses and takes names. There is a scene where Hooker walks into, like, <laughs> an African-American bar. No. And then kicks asses and takes names. And it's like, you did it wrong. Yeah. There's nothing interesting about that. <laughs> that's called the horror of the past. Yes, yeah. exactly. We that's, don't want that. That's just privilege. <laughs> um, so that's an amazing spinoff episode. But an especially amazing uh, spinoff episode is Hollywood Star with two R's uh, uh, with Sharon goddamn stone wow as uh lieutenant uh, or as officer danny star um the uh daughter of a rich guy who decided to be a cop when her husband was killed by the mafia and we know she's really interesting because she has a pet turtle and likes opera because <laughs> 1980s and that's what that's how you that's how you discern that a character is interesting and again like hookers gotta go get like a suspect in Hollywood and the two of them have to team up and it is basically like 90% a Sharon Stone 
sort of backdoor pilot thing. And what's really interesting about that to me is that any time there was a blonde guest star on the show, uh, uh, the Heather Locklear just disappears. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> like she only has where she's like, I got those files you needed or something along those lines. Uh, there's another episode that Heather Thomas, uh, who was sort of, you know, your your 99 cent store, Heather Locklear. In the, in, in, and I think she was on like Dallas or Dynasty or something okay. like that. Uh, but anytime there was a guest star who was a blonde woman with feathered hair, Heather Locklear is, study, is suddenly like standing behind a plant or something like that. Like, <laughs> I guess I'll go get pizza for all the boys, you know, because you can't. Night pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> night pizza. I'll get night pizza. Where are my leg warmers? Um, <laughs> But of course, uh, also, uh, Officer Danny Starr also has to disguise herself as a hooker. Well, of course, uh, because that's the job. Well, since you, since you say hooker, I, what what is your take on why they called him hooker? Since it was trying to be a gritty, this is really the way it is '80s show. That word was very prominent in the yeah. '80s, meaning a prostitute, as we all yeah. know and accept. <laughs> why did they say we're going to make a gritty, realistic cop show with Captain Kirk as a cop? named after a prostitute. Why did they make the hooker choice? I I mean to the I that I don't have an I don't have a studied answer for, but if I had to guess, I think it just is a that sort of 70s 80s stab again at making your morally upright character Funny, like by just get not funny, but just like it's a contrasting name. Here is a guy who follows the law to the letter of the law and is a straight shooter and blah, blah, blah. But he's got kind of a crazy last name. <laughs> he arrests hookers and his name is Hooker. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. Uh, that's that's my guess. Because if I remember correctly, there were a couple. Certainly it did not escape. <laughs> even a joke that subtle did not escape the writers <laughs> on TJ Hooker. Uh, so I think there were a couple of times where it was alluded to that his last name was a little ribbled. <laughs> I love that. People would turn in shock in the 1800s. Yes. At, oh, my. Yes. Hooker. Uh, so I have some questions that are kind of jumping off from TJ Hooker, kind of more about, like, the love of it and and your, your feelings on it. So, uh, if you were on a cop show yourself, what kind of cop would you play? Um, I mean, certainly, certainly, the body that the good Lord put me into screams out wisecracking sidekick. <laughs> um, I think I, I, I think that there would be uh, I, I I'd I'd have a lot of things to say. A lot of well, that's. That turned out well. You know, a lot of lines <laughs> like that. So there'd be sort of, you'd be a sort of a guy at a desk who would kind of funny mocks the cop who's actually working. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of my job in life <laughs> to an extent. Um, although because of because of my uh, because of my pudginess, I think there's also a really good chance that I would be the guy surrounded by uh, all of the 1980s computers. Okay. You know what I mean? Like the You're uh, filing the reports. Yeah, I'm filing the No, but I also like I'm like the I'm like the computer guy like, "All right, what do you got for me?" All right, you know, and I would do a lot of blowing up of pictures that would never work in real life. <laughs> yes. All right, well, let's zoom in on that. Oh, he's a Protestant. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was always I You're always zooming into his soul. Yes, exactly. There's always one guy who's surrounded by a bank of computers who has all of the powers of Jesus himself uh, because he has a modem. <laughs> I like the idea that you would be sitting there as you know 
an older person, but not like an ancient person, and be talking about like I got twelve years till retirement. <laughs> I could be yes, I could absolutely be that guy. I got as well. twenty years until retirement. <laughs> it was just twenty more cases, that's, and then I was free. That's, that's <laughs> super fun. <laughs> Thirty years, and it's his first day on the you job. You just joined. Why are you talking about oh, retirement? I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> I just turned twenty five. <laughs> I can't slide across these newfangled hoods. The Toyota Yaris. It's barely got a hood. <laughs> Smart car. You just slide right off it when you try to. You gotta go over the whole top, and then there's the carrier thing on top. It just doesn't. It's not what it used to be, man. Uh, so if you had a catchphrase, if you were the guy who zoomed in on photos in in kind of wisecracked in the office, but didn't really go out on case as much yourself, would you have a catchphrase? If I if I was that guy, I think it would be something like. Smile, you're on candid camera, or you know, something like, <laughs> like, like when you zoomed in on the Protestant. You yes, say, exactly. Smile, you're on candid camera. Yeah, I think I think things along that. You know, smile, you're on Kagan camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Something not terribly clever. Nice, nice. Okay, and since since my impression of T.J. Hooker was just being a big fucking geek and being mad at it that it was not Star Trek, what? Why what? are you? Why so mad? Well, I think I also I I had the opposite experience uh, from you, of that. I think the few episodes I saw was at my not fun grandma's house. Oh uh, no! In my it's grandma, all on the grandma. My grandma, sadly, when her husband passed away, and uh, this is on my father's side, and her husband was a horrible asshole. Oh. Uh, so and this is just terribly depressing. So I'll follow it up with some funnies. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna make arm fart noises in a sec. But she was one of these people who just like, well, my uh, my husband died. I think I'll sit here until I die. But I got some candy. So I like I have these like horrible like. It was just it was just a depressing house because it was just like. I think I'm just gonna sit here. Just gonna wait for the inevitable. I'm just gonna sit here, and while I'm doing it, I'm gonna watch. Not Captain Kirk on my television and depress my grandchildren. So it was. So it was two things. It was you were watching it in a not thrilling, happy environment, and then you were genuinely, you were genuinely bummed. It sounded like to see Shatner do anything that wasn't doing it with green checks. Yeah. Well, I love Star Trek. Of my course, my father course. loved Star Trek. So it, this was like a fun, exciting thing that I did with my father. So there, yeah, I think it was all that emotional pileup. You know, there's an episode where Nimoy appears, right? Yeah, because it's right. It's on like the cover of the the DVD, right? To sell yes, sell <laughs> hooker DVDs. So, oh, here's my my asshole geeky Star Trek question. So, if Captain Kirk showed up on the show and it turned out that like T.J. Hooker was like just a planet that had formed a cop culture because a cop DVD, <laughs> <laughs> like a DVD of Hill Street Blues, had fallen right. on that planet, but they and never they reshaped quite got themselves. it right. Yeah. Uh, and Captain Kirk also showed up. What would that be like? How would T.J. Hooker as a character and Captain Kirk as a character interact with one another? Here's what's here's another th- interesting thing about T.J. Hooker, and it's a very roundabout way of answering your question. No problem. Um, in the third season, uh, actor James Darren is added to the cast uh, as a hooker. It's basically a hooker analog um, because there were two young people on the team. There was uh, uh, the, uh, the the dance fever guy uh, whose name is escaping me for some reason. It's killing me. But uh, and, <laughs> and Heather Locklear. So they were the young the young folks. And then James Darren came aboard uh, as an older cop who was basically like hooker in every single way, shape and form. Really? Except that. 
he answered to Hooker. So I and I that just seemed to be uh, Shatner himself saying like. I need somebody exactly like me who agrees with everything I say <laughs> and has the exact same set of morals and ideas that I have to just sort of double down on how awesome I am. So I, I, I pick it, and it's not an exciting answer, but I feel like the two of them would sort of look at each other and go, yep, we see eye to eye on absolutely everything. You're, I, there might be some disagreement on who is ultimately right because, of course, both of those characters are ultimately right about everything. <laughs> yes. Um, I feel like, and this is different than sort of the modern uh, movies uh, sort of interpretation of Kirk. It is my understanding that on the show, Kirk was less a captain on the ragged edge. Like he really did sort of pay attention to the rules and and things. He didn't he didn't fuck with the prime directive all that often. Uh, yeah, we just did a Star Trek uh, obsessed podcast and, and my friend uh, Dr. Jim Kekalius, uh is super, super... A great Star Trek name, by the I way. I know. Kekalius could totally be a planet. Uh, so he, what he was saying is that they had this great idea in the original series um, that Kirk was kind of a cowboy in that they were super, super far away from Federation space, so he would be like... Hey, um, I'm gonna send the Federation an, an email about like what should I do about this? But like, but the shtick was that it's so far away that he's not gonna get an answer. So it's, right. it, it was this sort of nice moral thing of like he's not doing whatever the fuck he feels like because he's like look at my big swinging Kirk dick. Right. He's doing it because like I don't know I'm out here alone and I need to make a choice. Right. So there was a sort of boldness to it, but it but it was still based in like yeah morality and and uh, trying to accept the prime directive, but it had a sort of Brashness, because like I'm pulling this out of my ass because I can't get an answer. Yeah, whereas whereas Hooker is very aware of the letter of the law and is very good at admonishing his rookie charges in the first season, and then anybody uh, you know who isn't T.J. Hooker standing around him with an earshot in later seasons, but also felt no compunction about just going to a suspect's. Uh, Flop Hotel and shooting him in the face. Okay, so like this is the letter of brain surgery, <laughs> yeah. but this is the spirit of brain yeah. surgery. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is more important? So I think that I I think that Kirk uh, is probably more of a moral character, and there would probably be a couple of things that Hooker would do that would make Kirk go, "I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you, friend. You look similar to me." You really let yourself go. <laughs> I th I think maybe Kirk would also encourage Hooker to do some isometrics once in a while. <laughs> would they be in the gym together? <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you guys have space gyms like we have in space? Let's spar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> would they? Would they wrestle? Would they? Would they man wrestle? You know, there is a wrestling episode. There is an episode. <laughs> <laughs> there is an episode of T.J. Hooker. Uh, Vince Romano is the name. Uh, God, Zemed. Zemed. How could I forget that name? Zemed. Adrian Zemed plays Vince Romano. Okay. Uh, in the grand tradition of anyone on television who uh, was not a white person playing an Italian person. That is the default. <laughs> like Eric Estrada playing Poncherello. And it's like, that's not, he's a Hispanic gentleman. He's, he's an Italian play. puppet with that name, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey! Hey, I'm a Poncherello. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, Adrian Zemed, not an Italian gentleman, of course, had to play an Italian gentleman because those were the only 10 people on television. <laughs> um, there's a scene uh, where I, I think one of the other rookies is killed on an undercover sting 
and Romano is very upset about it uh, because rookies aren't supposed to do undercover work. And it's like, you're teaching us all these rules, man, but you're not living up to them. And uh, and so during a wrestling class, <laughs> which they have, uh, this is, and I believe this is first season where you see a lot of activity at the LCPD police department. So there'd be like, you know, there's always like, it's one of those things where as they're walking to uh, the station, there's always like a line of rookies doing calisthenics and uh, <laughs> and a lot of women, a lot of women rookies, right. especially doing jumping jacks that you never see doing anything else on the show. <laughs> jumping jacks are an important part of police work. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but Hooker and uh, Romano uh, work out their differences during a wrestling match. Wow. Uh, and, and literally just like, you have all of these rules, but you don't follow them, figure four, or whatever. That's <laughs> that's a professional wrestling move now yes. that I think of it. But still, leg lock. And, and then, of course, Hooker uh, gets the best of him and dispels homespun wisdom at the same time while a grunting and groaning wrestling match is happening. And it is not in the slightest bit homoerotic. Absolutely oh. not, is it? Of course not. No, no. Of course nothing not. weird about this. There should literally be like a subtitle on the screen that says there's nothing weird about any of this. <laughs> cool. Uh, just to go back for a second, uh, really quickly, what is the Nimoy character? What is the Nimoy episode? This is a bummer. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, he's like an old buddy of hookers from the Academy, uh, and, uh, the LC Academy. Yes. The Los Cancos Academy. <laughs> the Los Cancos. Yes. Actually, the C stands for calisthenics. <laughs> That's what it stands for. This is jumping jacks. Cops. Los calisthenics. Yes. Los calisthenics. Viva Los calisthenics. <laughs> um, he's like, uh, he's, you know, visiting from another precinct and, uh, his daughter, uh, is sexually assaulted. Oh, that and is a huge bummer. It is a complete right. Um, it's a complete bummer for uh, for a million reasons, but most Im not most importantly, but anyone who was excited, let's say young Joseph Scrimshaw, was like <laughs> Spock and Kirk are going to be in the same episode. This is so great, and then it's just a lot of scenes of crying and being mad and an awful assault scene, and it's just like this is not. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, oh my God, Superman and Spider-Man are in a comic <laughs> together and they're, and, and somebody gets leukemia. Like it's not, <laughs> this isn't what you want from your crossover One of episode. the rare effects of Pew Scripton <laughs> is Superman gets leukemia. Yeah, but, uh, but so, uh, so Nimoy goes rogue and is going to, and of course it ends with a confrontation in a junkyard because all TJ Hooker episodes end with a confrontation in a junkyard oh, or the abandoned warehouse district. Um, and, uh, but, and so Hooker has to, uh, talk him out of uh, doing vigilante justice, um, which, of course, is delightful because, as I said, there are a couple of episodes where Hooker just shoots somebody in the goddamn <laughs> face because he just doesn't like the way he's talking. Yeah. Um, but so that so that is that that is the episode. And it is it is no fun at all. OK, so never watch that episode is kind of the bottom line. I mean. You can watch little bits of it because, of course, it's just awesome to see Nimoy in a sharp, sharp 1982 suit with a sharp, <laughs> sharp 1982 hairstyle. There is nothing logical about what <laughs> yes. you're wearing, Spock. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Uh, so if you work in the industry, if... Nominally. If you 
if somebody actually just came to you, if a studio came to you and like, hey, we heard this asshole's podcast. We understand you love DJ Hooker. Here's a boatload of money. Could you reboot it for us? Um, what would would you do it, and what would it look like? Reboot it as a TV show or as a movie? As a TV show. Um, that's a great question. I. It is. It it. it we are no longer living in an era where a sh- where certainly an hour long show like that can exist. There are procedurals still, um, but they you know there's a lot there's a lot more emotional weight to even sort of the fluffiest of hour long procedural right. shows. So, I mean, in my heart of hearts, if I had all the money in the world and could do whatever I wanted, I I, I think there are one of two things to do. I think I would do it as just a just directly like great this is a cop show that takes place in 1982 and <laughs> we're just we're just going to we're just going to do that. and I'd get Shatner and there would be no there would be no attention paid to the fact that he's like 78 years old and he would just be solving <laughs> crimes um, or yeah or do something where it's like T.J. Hooker has been pulled out of... I think you would need Shatner one way or the other. T.J. Hooker has been pulled out of retirement, and he's going to solve crimes his way, even though the landscape of uh, crime-solving and, in fact, television itself has changed. Okay, well, let me... Maybe he comes out of cryogenic freeze? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he'd do it. Let me ask you this as as an alternate. Let's say it's, like, 2028. Would you do T.J. Hooker with Chris Pine? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. Of course I would. <laughs> Just as the biggest no one cares meta asshole thing. If funny or die, if you are listening, please. let's make that happen. Chris Pine, TJ Hooker. And then please give, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw. This is Josh A. Kagan. Please give us money. This is our idea, goddammit. I, uh, I also now that just makes me hope that Chris Pine ages in, in the exact same way. <laughs> just really, like, he gets about four Star Trek movies out, and then just boom, his hair falls out, and he puts a woodland creature on his head, and <laughs> somehow the rest of his body remains a thin man's body except for his <laughs> midsection. Oh, that is a horrible fate to wish on poor Chris Pine. Okay, uh, so my last question is about the cars themselves, because, like, in my mind, that is also, like, a huge part of not just T.J. Hooker, but all of the cop shows of that era, that, that is a huge part of the visual because we spend so much time on the streets, and cars at that time were so big. Do you, do you miss big cars well, like, when you just, like, look at the world? Um... That's a really interesting question. I, I'm, it's all part and parcel of a time in television that we are just never going to get back with giant cars and giant men just <laughs> sort of just gummy before toning was invented. Just <laughs> But toning was only for young recruits <laughs> yes. in the LC. <laughs> In the Los Calisthenics Police Department. (laughs) There's a real innocence to it because it is the last... That is the the early 80s and that sort of TV. That's kind of the last gasp of a certain era of television that sort of began in the 1960s with Dragnet. Another show that I could talk and talk about uh, forever and ever. Uh, But... You get the sense it's like watching dinosaurs. Like there's something about like 
they are odd and clunky and they were never going to be in it for the long haul, but there is something tragically majestic about them. There is something tragically majestic about this pudgy, sweaty, toupee man running around telling people what's what and mansplaining the rules of being a cop <laughs> and being alive to the young folks who just don't get it and driving these gigantic cars and drinking pint glasses of whiskey. And it's just like, <laughs> it is It is not something that I am necessarily nostalgic for because I'm definitely not that kind of guy. No, not And at all. as it turns out, Everybody was wrong. Like that was not that was not necessarily the best way to solve crimes. Those were not the best cars to drive. But there is there is something. Uh, again, the phrase that pops in my mind is tragically majestic about sort of the last gasp of an era of American manhood. Yeah, that was never meant to go the distance. I don't even know if it was real, but like a perception of what it should be. Yes, aspirational, an yeah. aspirational sense of manhood. Like you drink a giant car, you drink a giant car, you drink a giant <laughs> a car worth of whiskey. <laughs> Let's fill that this Ford some, Fairmont that is with some Jameson. Manly shit, right there. Oh, Jim, I wish they had uh, something as awesome as Jameson back then. They just always drank like generic Bob's whiskey out of a, <laughs> a big plastic thing. Uh, but it's just, it is it is a bygone. Tumbler of Uncle Bob. A tum That's one of my favorite tumblers, by the way. <laughs> Uncle Bob's always getting into scrapes with cats and Benedict Cumberbatch. We've just made the perfect tumbler. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's something you just sort of watch it and you go, oh, you poor saps. Yeah. You really thought that you had it all. And you really thought that you had it all figured out and you just look preposterous now. And it sounds, and I hope that doesn't sound hipsterish like I'm putting myself above it, but there is there is something so kind of, for lack of a better word, vulnerable about it. Vulnerable, that's a word I've never been able to pronounce. Uh, but, but you know what I mean? There's something yeah. about it that's just like, Oh, I just kind of want to hug you all with your bad spinoffs and your emergency brain surgeries and you're not playing by the rules in your giant cars and your episodes where you have to solve crimes in Hawaii just because because it's all going away. Yeah. This isn't what television is going to be in like and I and I honestly think I don't know if the years overlap, but I think once Botchko drops Hill Street Blues, like that is that's the beginning of the end right. for sort of the man with or without a mustache, blockily and gummily solving crimes with just the pure power of macho-ness in a giant car. <laughs> yes. Awesome. That was like a great summary of of your love of the show, of what it is. Uh is there a way, is there something verbally that you can do to demonstrate your love of TJ Hooker. And this is a weird thing. It's, it's, it, it, it sometimes put people, <laughs> puts people on the spot, and sometimes there's gold. Uh, if there is a sound that you could make that sounds to you like TJ Hooker, what would that sound be? <laughs> It has such a great theme song. I hope that's not the most obvious answer, Joseph. No, not at all. But it's just like... It has sort of that opening keyboard sting. Okay, so that's a keyboard sting. What it sounded to me like an overly aggressive... 
like it, it sounded to me like a horn and a flute trying to compensate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Compensate or copulate, you take it back. But it has one of those classic, and the opening shot is a silhouette of Hooker running down a dark hallway, coming into the light, and then the name of the show comes across in big, like, red and blue letters, yellow in later seasons. Uh, <laughs> but it has one of those great sort of 1980s instrumental cop show themes where it's just like, we are shoving this cop show directly up your ass. <laughs> ba -ba 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 -ba. So that's the darkness that he's running through. Yes. Is your asshole. <laughs> Correctly. The yes. audience's he, asshole. He is running directly up your ass and into the light to show you that Hooker's way is the only way. <laughs> the only way for justice is through your asshole. Correct. TJ Hooker. <laughs> Nothing weird about that. Awesome. Uh, so now I'd like to ask you uh, the final closing questions of the podcast. That right. don't necessarily have to do with your obsession. Uh, first, if there was a statue of you... What would you be doing? What would your statue pose be? I just wrote about this on. Uh, oh fuck! I just wrote about this on uh, Yearbook Office uh, a couple uh, weeks ago. Um, tell people what Yearbook Office is. Yearbook Office is a. Uh, it's it's just it's still sort of in its infant stages, but it was started by a really wonderful writer and uh, sea monkey. If that's a word that makes sense to your audience, yeah. Uh, so people who have attended the Jonathan Colton Joko Cruise crazy are sea monkeys. Yes, a, 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 and just a just a. Uh, a super shiny nerd, as the double clicks would say. Uh, in general, uh, Alice Lee, who is a terrific writer and lady about town. She's awesome. Um, uh, this is a website that she started uh, to sort of as a as a collection for her writings and musings. And uh, and when I see that somebody has had a good idea, my <laughs> first my first impression is like, hey, me too, right? Because then I didn't have to have an idea. Uh, so uh, I write a uh, weekly uh, kind of column type essay type thing on uh, Fridays uh, called The Thing That's Words. And uh, she gives me a one word prompt. And then I sort of uh, I sort of go off on it. Awesome. But, in but anyways, I uh, I wrote and I wrote an essay a couple weeks ago about uh, how in these troubled, tumultuous times, as America is sort of falling apart, uh, we as a people need to look to something that is never going to change. And that thing is me. Um, I have been so stuck in my ways, the way that I dress, the way that I write, the things that I listen to, the television that I watch, uh, such as TJ Hooker, that, that I am, that I am, that I am just going to always be this kind of version 1.0 of Josh A. Kagan. Uh, and then basically, uh, halfway through the essay, I make this realization that like, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible for me. That's terrible for America. This is going to work and then I propose in a way that is both self-depreciating and horrifically egotistical that uh, we should build a Paul Bunyan-esque uh, 50 foot tall statue <laughs> 
uh, and put it just in the middle of America where nobody will ever see it. And Peoria. Just rust. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, no offense to Peoria. I'm sure Peoria gets a bad rap. I it's, but I'm it's sure. kind of in the center. That's yes, the exactly. Yeah. Somewhere. Somewhere where people won't really see it that often. Just this big rusting scrap metal statue like they used to make in the 40s and 50s of unchanging Josh A. Kagan. <laughs> so I can still change, and but we, but I and America can still have a totem of something that is perpetually stuck in time. And so, unchanging Josh A. Kagan uh, would be wearing a flannel shirt, an ironic t-shirt, and <laughs> like Lee's dungarees. Um, has one hand in a pocket and it's turned out to reveal that it's empty because I've lost my keys because I always <laughs> lose my keys. Um, and then my other hand is on my computer desperately banging out an essay at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> because I am a terrible, terrible procrastinator. And uh, so that so that that would be the statue of unchanging Josh A. Kagan as a both tribute and lovingly cautionary example <laughs> about how it's also good to grow and change as a person. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so the next question, and this is kind of a twist on a classic question, if you could put someone else on a desert island and strand them with only one album to listen to, who would you put on an island and what would you leave them with? So this could be a loving thing or this could be an act of vengeance. I... Yeah, I will. It it sounds more like an act of vengeance, Joseph. I'm going to just be honest. That was my intent when I wrote this question. <laughs> I'm a horrible, angry person. If you could fuck over another human being and say, you're going on a desert island and you only have one album to listen to, who would you fuck and why? Uh... I, not to be not to be too topical or too political, but uh, probably John Bonner Boehner. How the yeah. fuck do you pronounce his name? It doesn't matter. It Let's sure doesn't. Get him. Uh, <laughs> John Boehner with uh, with a copy of uh, of the Death Grips uh, Death Grips the Money Store, which is just a pummeling, <laughs> angry album with <laughs> drums that are the loudest, angriest drums ever, and then kind of a production style that sounds like. Uh, 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 like kind of public enemies, uh, Terminator X, uh, exploding, uh, as, as like, uh, as like a, as like a bridge is being destroyed. <laughs> like the, like the production on it is the bomb squad. If the bomb squad used actual bombs <laughs> and it's just angry at America and it's angry at stupid people and at privilege and things. And that's, that's what I would just, I would just. I, that, I think that sounds like a good plan. Awesome. And the final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? Uh, my wife and my dog. A nice craft beer once in a while. That is awesome. Uh, I would like to thank all of the chittering squirrels <laughs> <laughs> for listening to this podcast. And, of course, the people listening at home. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.